All right, make your way to your, to your seats. You might like to take out your Bibles. I've just had uh, a gentleman come and ask me, he said, at what point do you think the men could avail themselves of the chocolates up the front here? So I didn't want to make that call. I... Oh, there we go. Preached a couple of, oh, a few weeks ago on temptation and the lure of sin. So we'll see how we go with these up here this morning. All oh, right, come on, girls. Okay. <laughs> so James chapter two is where we're going to be this morning. Good. James chapter 2, we're going to continue in our series, Bold Living, this morning. Let me pray before we get there. Thank you, Lord, for the joy, the privilege it is to open up your word, Lord. And I thank you that your word is living and active. I thank you that any moment we open up your scriptures, Lord, whether it's here corporately or in our personal lives, Lord, Holy Spirit, you bring life, you bring revelation, you bring truth, you speak to our hearts, Lord, because your word is living, it's alive. And I just pray today that our hearts would be open, that our ears would be open to what you would be saying to us through your word today. And Lord, we could hear the simplest sermon, we could hear the greatest theologian on earth preach, but ultimately we need the touch of your spirit, Lord, to make it come alive. And I just pray that this morning, the words that I speak, would you at a harvest, Lord, in the hearts of your people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's read this passage. From verse 14 of James 2, and it said, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by, what, by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works, is dead. Wow, some heavy words in there again this morning. 
He leaves us with this. So also faith apart from works is dead. So the title of my message this morning is this. Is your faith alive? Is your faith alive? You know, if something is alive, there is life. There is evidence, isn't there? We like to think so, yes. If something is dead, well, there's not much evidence of life there. A little while ago, I was driving home. I got home from youth uh, after youth on a Friday night, and I drove into my driveway, and as the headlights shone down under our trampoline just at the edge of the driveway, I could see something there. It looked like a, a bird. I drived and parked the car. I drove in, sorry, drived. It's terrible English, sorry. <laughs> drove in, parked the car, and got out and had a look. And it was this bird that was standing upright but totally motionless. And I thought, well, that's interesting. So I went and had a closer look, and I stomped, and I clapped my hand, and Nothing happened. It just was totally lifeless. I thought, oh, well, it's late at night. I'll deal with that in the morning. Dead bird, great. So I went inside, went to sleep, opened up the blinds the next morning. And I looked out, and sure enough, there's Bertie the bird under the trampoline, still in the exact same position, had not moved, had not moved a millimeter. I thought, well, he's obviously dead, poor little thing. So I went out to get rid of it. And then it just, I don't know if it was my eyes, but then it looked like it moved just a little bit. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. So I left it. And then sure enough, it would move a little bit, and I'd come back half an hour later, and it was in just a little bit of a different spot. And I said, oh, he's not dead. He's alive. Wow, praise the Lord. But unfortunately, it didn't look good for this bird, and he just struggled his way through. In the end, I took it to the vet nearby. I that caring heart in me, I guess. In hindsight, I probably should have just, you know. But anyway, anyway. For this bird, it looked dead, but it was still just a little bit alive. And you know, I don't want us to have a faith like that, that looks dead, but there's no, there's no sign of life. You know, perhaps you know some Christians, and no, no one here, of course, that are like that. You, th- you look at their faith, and you think, they say, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm a person of faith, I follow Jesus. And you think, they haven't moved for a while. Are they, are they okay? You maybe give them a prod and just see. There's no evidence of the life, of their faith being alive. And you know, James is concerned with this in this passage. He wants Christians, those who follow Jesus, who profess him as Lord and Savior, to have a faith that is alive. Not that you have to look hard just to see if it's alive or dead, but a faith that is alive. And he's challenging us in this passage as to whether our faith is indeed alive or not. Just, not just having profession without the practice. And this particular passage has been the cause of much controversy, we could say, over the years. Debate and wrestle, scholars and theologians, different arms of the church, just kind of wrestling with some of the things that James writes in here. And we don't have time to go into all of that today, of course. But basically, the controversy around this is, is James contradicting Paul's message of grace? 
Of course, Paul the Apostle in Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, elsewhere in Scripture, in the New Testament, he writes, and his message was that salvation is by grace through faith, not works. A man is justified or made righteous before God by faith, apart from works of the law. Yet James is clearly saying here that faith without works is dead. You know, he's pretty clear throughout this wonderful book, isn't he, that uh, he emphasizes the necessary relation between faith and works, between our belief and our behavior. So we're not going to go into all the nitty-gritty of all the, the, the theological wrestling and debate and all that about this particular passage, but let me just say a couple of things that we must remember. That we are saved by grace. It's a free gift from God through faith, our response in receiving the gift of God. It's not through works of the law. It's not through our human effort or endeavor to try and somehow attain favor, approval, right standing with, with God, okay? And Paul was, of course, very strong on this when talking about our salvation. What James is emphasizing here is that if we are saved, if we have indeed received this free gift of God, this marvelous grace, this undeserved love, this forgiveness that washes away our sins, then this must change and impact and produce something in us. This is where James is coming from. If you say you have faith, if you say that you believe that you've received this free gift of God, then there must be evidence of this faith, of it having an impact on our lives, of it producing good works, not good works of the law, but good works. And Paul was big on this issue as well. Yes, he had this great focus on, on grace and saved by grace through faith. Yet of all the New Testament writers, as we look at his writings, so often he would paint this theological masterpiece in the first part of the letter, but he never failed to leave the readers with this is what it actually looks like. This is the practical outworking. He was concerned with that deeply as well as James is here, as we see. True saving faith is an active faith that expresses itself through love and obedience to Christ and kindness and service to others. We could say our profession must lead to practice, the outworking. And so Paul and James... These two, the message of grace, the message of uh, putting our faith into action, if you like. We're addressing complementary but different aspects of the Christian life. Paul addressing perhaps his emphasis is more at the very beginning. How do we have right standing with God? What does it look like? It's not through earning it, but it's through this free gift of grace from the Lord. But then James, I guess we could say, how do we show right, how do we show right standing with God? And he's addressing here, we have to remember, people who are already professing Christians. People who claim to be forgiven in right relationship with God. So we must live a new life because we are a new creature. So, all that kind of to address this um, controversy, I guess, around... This passage, but that's not kind of where I want to head this morning. I want to just look at a few different things that I feel the Lord's put on my heart and, and unpack what I, I feel like James is saying here this morning. And um, 
We're not talking about works, of course, to earn, but works in response to the Lord and what he's done for us. A kind of faith that has been received by grace. So first point this morning, this is what I want to bring out, just a few things from this particular passage. Faith that is alive looks like something. Faith that is alive looks like something. There's evidence, evidence. He starts off this passage that we've read this morning saying, what good is it? What good is it if we say we have faith but don't back that up with good works? The Amplified Bible puts it this way. What is the benefit if someone claims to have faith but has no good works as evidence? Can that faith save him? No, a mere claim of faith is not sufficient. Genuine faith produces good works. And you know, James's emphasis here in this particular passage is actually a universal New Testament emphasis. If we look back to John the Baptist, when he came proclaiming the message of repentance, he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. What good is it if we repent, but there is no evidence of a changed life? Faith that chooses to trust God to forgive our sins, but does not include turning from our own way and committing to follow him as Lord, falls short of true saving faith. Jesus himself says, we could pick out a number of verses, but in in the Gospels, in Matthew 5, he says, Let your light shine so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. It's on display. Faith that is alive looks like something. He also talks about the fact that by your fruit you will recognize a good tree. By our fruit we can recognize whether our faith is in fact alive. And so faith, James is saying, is not merely an intellectual experience, something that we give mental assent to. There is an outworking of faith in our lives. For example, when I was at school for a number of years, I learnt uh, a language. I learnt German. That was what was taught at both schools I went to, actually. And I really enjoyed learning it. It was, it was good to kind of get a grasp on another language, except the problem was is that I had a reasonably good intellectual understanding of it. I had a reasonably good memory. So I could memorize the phrases, the numbers, all these kind of things. And so come test time, it was like, yep, memorize it, good. But the actual outworking of it was a different story. And I found this out in a bit of an embarrassing way when my wife and I, we traveled over to Europe a number of years ago and we spent, uh, well, we visited Germany. We're driving down the road on the Autobahn and we're driving along for about 50 or 60 kilometers. And every turn off the road, there's this sign that says Ausfahrt. And, well, that wrecked the punchline. <laughs> I'm thinking, what is this place, Ausfahrt? I love geography as well, and I kind of pride myself on knowing a lot of different cities. And I'm thinking, this place. Ausfahrt, I've never heard of it. It must be a massive town because every, every exit off the last 50 or 60 k's points to Ausfahrt. I think, what is it? And in the end, I, I spoke up foolishly 
because my wife's auntie and uncle were in the car. And I said, oh, I've never heard of this place before. Where is Alsfart? It must be a big city. And they just burst out laughing because it means exit. That's what it means. And all the years of studying German at school, I couldn't remember. There was no outworking of it. I could perhaps remember some phrases and numbers, but actually not put it into practice. All roads lead to Ausfahrt on the Autobahn, just so you know. If you go to Germany, it's a lovely place. There's a danger of faith just being a mere intellectual thing. And you know... I believe that we cannot experience the marvelous gift of grace, the love of God that goes beyond our understanding, his goodness, his mercy, and remain unchanged or unaffected. I love what it says in Acts chapter 4, where they're speaking boldly, testifying to Jesus. And it says the the religious leaders and people there, they, they saw them. They saw they were just common Ordinary, uneducated men. But they saw their boldness and they were amazed by it. But it says that they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Is there evidence in our lives that we have been with Jesus? Is there evidence that we have been touched by his grace, transformed by his love, filled with his spirit, and living in a way that represents him and brings glory to his name? Is there evidence that we have put our faith in him, not just, yes, I believe, but actually we have put our faith and that our faith is genuine because faith looks like something. And I pray that there is that kind of evidence that people would see and say, I recognize that this person, that you have been with Jesus. There's something different about you. There's something different about the way that you live your life. It looks different than most I pray there is that evidence that our faith looks like something because that is the kind of faith that James is referring to here. A changed life, conviction in the way that we actually live, the practical outworking. It's alive. Faith in Jesus means to take that faith into every area of life and to live by it. Faith that is alive looks like something. Similarly, faith that is alive leads to something. Leads to action. I think you'll agree as we've been on this journey throughout James that he couldn't really, he didn't really have much time for profession without practice. He was so concerned and passionate about the people who'd call themselves Christians actually really living that out, bringing glory to the Lord. And you know, it says in verse 17 of James chapter 2. So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith by itself, alone, isolated. You know, faith was never meant to be just by itself, alone, or in isolation, without effect. Otherwise, it's dead, James tells us. Where there is faith, you will always find good works. Where there is true faith, you will always find its expression in kindness, in love, in looking outward in considering others. In verse 18, it says, Well, someone will say, Well, you have faith and I have works. Both are good. Both would indicate some sort of faith there, religion. It's not a case of either or, but of both and. It's not just, Well, you have your faith expression, And I'll have mine. 
It's not either or, but both and. It's like he's saying, okay, well, show me, prove it. Show me the impact this kind of faith has on your life. Show me the impact your faith has on the lives around you. And I will show you mine by what I do, he writes. You believe that God is one. That's great. And that was a Jewish daily affirmation of faith. That God is one. That's a great starting point. But you know what? Even the demons believe that. Their belief does not alter or change them in the slightest. He says if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, if they're lacking in food, if they're lacking in the things, basic things that they need, and we just say to them, they're there, go on your way, I hope all works out for you. What is the point of that, he says? What good is it? He's calling us higher because faith that is alive leads to action, to looking out, to putting it into action, to love, to meet needs, to bless others. Christ's love compels us to act, to love, to do something with the things that God has placed in our hands. And it can be easy to think, you know, well, I don't know what I can really do. I don't have the time. I don't have the money, perhaps. I don't have the platform that could really make a difference. I guarantee you that there is a city and a region here desperately needing to encounter Jesus. There are people in your street, people in your workplace, people in your university campuses, wherever it might be, desperately needing to encounter Jesus, the love of God. Let's be his hands and feet. Let's put on love. Let's meet the needs where people are at in simple ways. If we're able to, in bigger ways, come before the Lord and ask him, Lord, would you show me? And then let's be a people who act, who do something. Let our faith be found to be active, alive, and outworked in how we live. In Ephesians chapter 2, which is one of my favorite passages in Ephesians, certainly. This marvelous picture of the gospel, of salvation, of the grace of God. It says that we were dead in our sins and transgressions, but God, being rich in mercy, with the great love with which he loved us, made us alive. By grace you have been saved through faith. So it wasn't your own doing, it was the gift of God. What a, what a wonderful, wonderful picture that is. Yet he then goes on to say in Ephesians 2.10 that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared in advance for us that we should walk in them, that we should do them, that we should walk out. And I just think, It's interesting that right after this wonderful passage about grace, the gift of God, how it's not by works, he says this, that you have been created for good works and to walk in them. We're not just saved to escape punishment and judgment and just kind of get into heaven, but for a purpose. And these good works result from faith. From faith, in response to, if you like, this grace that has been poured out upon us. Let's be a people whose faith 
leads to something, to action, to being his hands and feet, to showing his love, to meeting needs, to being a blessing, to looking outward, to considering others. Finally, this morning, faith that is alive expresses something. It's often costly. The evidence of our faith, the action of our faith, it expresses something, or we could say it makes a statement about where we put our trust, our confidence, whether we're all in, whether we take God at his word, whether we're willing to lay it on the li- all on the line, whether our faith is costly. And it's interesting because James uses two examples here of faith, Abraham and Rahab. <clears throat> and if you know the stories, you, you couldn't get two more different examples of people who lived by faith. Abraham was known as a great example of faith, wasn't he? Godly, righteous man. His faith was proved by his willingness to act and respond to God's summons, both when he called him out of his native land and also later on when he'd received the promise and God summoned him to sacrifice his son on the altar. So we have him as an example. And then he also talks about Rahab, who the Bible tells us was a prostitute. But she sheltered the spies when they'd come to spy out the land. Joshua chapter 2. We read there that she'd heard about the Lord. She'd heard about all that he had done. And she'd recognized that the Lord is the one true God and put her faith in him. Her treatment of the spies, protecting them, welcoming them in, was the action that proved she had faith. For both Abraham and Rahab, their faith looked like something. There was evidence. Their faith led to something. There was action. And their faith cost something. It expressed something. There was an element for both of them of laying it all on the line. Throwing all their eggs in the one basket, if you like. For Abraham, it was leaving family, leaving what was familiar, holding fast to the promise that God had given him. And then that costly offering when God had said to sacrifice his son on the altar. You can't imagine the pain or the heart-wrenching decision of obedience that would have been for Abraham. For Rahab, there was a cost, leaving behind all that she had known, her family, to throw her lot in with the people of God, faith in the one true God. Yet, what we read here is that unless Abraham had faith, he would never have answered the summons of God to start with. And yet, unless he had been prepared to obey God to the uttermost, his faith would not have been real. It would not have had true substance. And unless Rahab had faith, she never would have taken the risk of identifying her future with the fortunes of the people of God. And yet, unless she had been prepared to risk it all to help the spies, her faith would have been lacking substance. This was the outworking of her faith. It was costly. It expressed something where she was going to put her trust and her confidence. 
I came across this quote this week. It says, No one will ever be moved to action without faith. And no one's faith is genuine unless it moves them to action. And we've been talking a lot in this series about, well, the title of the series, of course, is Bold Living. Being a people who live boldly, courageously, confidently in the Lord. And if we are living in a way that is bold, it means we're taking some kind of risk. It means we're laying it all on the line. It means we're risking embarrassment or our reputation, perhaps. But I think if we want a faith that is alive, we need to be willing to live in this kind of way, to live boldly. You know, faith is so important because it's bigger than ourselves. It goes beyond just ourselves and what we can do of our own accord. This kind of living faith, there is evidence, there is action, there is It expresses something. It makes a statement about something, how we're wanting to live, who we're wanting to follow, taking God at his word. Having received this most glorious grace that's led to salvation, this gift of faith, I don't know about you, but I want to live my life in a way that there is evidence, that there is action, that there is something costly, that there's this an expression or statement putting my trust in something far bigger than myself. And I pray that that would be the same for all of us. A living faith, a faith that is alive. You know, not to prove to God that we love him, not to prove to God that we're serious, but in response to who he is and to all that he has done for us. James finishes this passage with, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. We could perhaps flip that the other way, that as the body joined with the spirit is alive, so also faith joined with works is alive. Our faith joined with how we live, the evidence, our faith joined with the practical outworking of love and good works, the action, and our faith joined with the the costly expression is alive. And I pray that our faith and our expression of faith as his people who gather here each and every week, as we go out from here each and every day, I pray that our faith, our expression of faith would be alive. Not dead, but alive. Clearly seen. Clearly seen. And that it would bring many and point many towards the Lord. Bring glory to his name. Amen. Would you stand this morning as we bring our service to a close? If you'd like prayer this morning, please make your way forward just at the, the end of the service. We'll invite the prayer team forward. Perhaps the prayer team could come forward at this point, if that's okay. The prayer team ready and willing and able to bring whatever needs you may have before the Lord. Lord, this morning, we thank you that we've been able to gather together to worship.
to honor you, to hear from your word. And Lord, I, I pray that the things that are of you, God, that I've spoken this morning would just resonate in our hearts, Lord God. Thank you that you're able to speak even through imperfect people, Lord God. So I just ask that you would do that, that the things that are of you would resonate in our hearts, Lord God, that we would be a people whose faith is alive, Lord God, that uh, in our lives as we follow you, as we pursue you, that, that our faith would look like something. There'd be clear evidence, Lord, that we've been with you, that we know you, Lord Jesus. Evidence of a changed and transformed life, Lord. I pray, Lord, that our faith would lead to action, Lord God. It would lead to action, God. Give us a heart for those around us, for stir and inspire us, Lord, with ways that we can look outward and be a blessing to those around us, Lord God. And I pray as well that our faith, Lord, would Express and make a statement, God, about where it is that we're putting our trust, Lord. Let us be a people who, who trust you, whose confidence is in you, Lord, who lay it all on the line for you, Lord God, knowing that you are faithful, knowing that you go with us, knowing that you call us, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, for each and every person here, that as we go from here this morning, we would just know the touch of your grace, that we would... Be aware of your presence and your goodness with us in the coming week, Lord. Give us opportunity, Lord, to to point people towards you, to share our faith. And uh, we just are so thankful for your goodness and your grace and your love. We honor you. We bless you this morning. In your wonderful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you this week. If you would like prayer, now's the time to make your way forward.